welcome to D Stories. My name is David Jacobs. I'm a professional voiceover actor. You can find me at davidjacobsvoiceover.com for all the information on the services I provide in the voiceover realm. These are real-life stories of my life. About three years ago, I almost died. For several months, I had been feeling what I considered to be heartburn. When I walked a little bit, especially if I drank coffee and then walked around a little bit, I would feel a burning sensation in my chest. And it was a burning sensation that felt exactly like heartburn. And so I thought, gee, I've got some heartburn going on. And I would take uh, a bunch of Tums and it didn't really work, but it kind of maybe worked. It was hard to really tell. And I had all this going on and it wasn't so bad that it bothered me. I just, you know, stopped walking or moving. And eventually it went away rel- relatively quickly. It wasn't uh, debilitating or really much of, it wasn't much more than an annoyance. Well, came the time where I said to myself, as we all often say to ourselves, gee, I really need to get back in shape. I really, really should, you know, get on the track and start walking and what have you. But every time I try to walk, I get this heartburn. So I went to my doctor and said, hey, I really want to get back in shape, but uh, I have this really bad heartburn problem and I can't, you know, I've taken Tums and this remedy and that remedy and I don't know, nothing seems to really help. You know, what, what's going on with this heartburn? And, uh, She said, well, I think I need to get you on a treadmill first. Before we deal with this heartburn issue, maybe, I need to get you on a treadmill just to rule out anything else. Because based on your latest blood work and especially your family history, you need to get on the treadmill just to make sure. Now, my family history is mostly revolving around my dad. And I don't know what age he was. He was probably 50-ish, had his first heart attack. And I was in, um, I was either in high school or late middle school, pretty young. And it was scary as hell. Matter of fact, I was in late middle school and it's terrifying, you know. And uh, our life changed so dramatically. When you have a heart attack, your diet has to change. Your lifestyle has to change. So much changed in our life and the way we ate and things like this. Then my dad had a second heart attack. Each one you have is worse than the next because every time you have a heart attack, there is damage done to the heart. And so if you have multiples, that's just more damage on top of more damage. It just gets worse. My dad had one of the very first bypass surgeries. He had a double bypass was his first, I believe. It was either two or three, but I think it was two. They had only been doing bypass surgeries for 
just a few years. It was still a relatively new surgery. And he was one of the first to have multiple. To have one was really remarkable, but to have more than one was really something else. And he had a multiple bypass very early in the days when they did this kind of surgery. It's uh, really remarkable. And he had two different bypass surgeries. The second one was particularly scary because, like I said, after several heart attacks and already one bypass, it got to the point where many people did not want to deal with him or operate on him. They said, ah, you have so much heart damage. This is getting complicated. I don't want to, I don't, it's too risky. I don't want to do it for you. Finally, he found someone who was willing to do it, and he said, you know, the risks are pretty high here. My dad is the kind of guy that said, well, I don't care. Either I want to have this surgery and be able to live, or if I go, I go, but I'm not going to live with, you know, a a sword of Damocles over my head. Let's just do this. That was the most scary because... um, That was the first time where I really thought he could die here. There's a very realistic possibility that this, that he does not come out of this. I mean, it was a, it was a very real possibility. And I sat with him when they shaved him down uh, the night before the procedure. They, They let me sit with him, which was really cool but I very much realized this could be the last time that I see my dad. It was, it was, it was very traumatic uh, for me. If you look at my grades in school, they're pretty okay and they're okay and then they just drop off because I was just so traumatized and so terrified and it was just a very, very scary time. Well, he made it through all that. He made it through the heart attacks, the multiple bypass surgeries, All of it. I don't know how. He passed away many years ago, um, not of, you know, more of old age than a serious heart problem. So I have a very serious family history. My brother also passed away, most likely from heart-related problems. I wasn't freaked out by this. I was freaked out a little bit, but I thought, Okay, I'll go on the treadmill, you know. I know, well, I thought I knew heart attack symptoms because of my family history. And I've always heard, well, there's a tightness in your chest and it feels like there's an elephant sitting on you and you can't breathe really well. And there's all these symptoms. I had none of those. If I had, I would have run to the doctor and been very scared because I understand what heart attack symptoms are. I didn't have any of those. I just had this burning in my chest that felt exactly like heartburn. For whatever reason, I had never come across that one before, so I didn't think in any way this was a heart issue. So I go in on a Thursday morning, going for my treadmill, and I'm, you know, expecting to get done, go to work, do my thing. Hey, if it comes out not so good... Well, I'll make an appointment with a cardiologist and we'll sit down and figure out what needs to happen. That's what I um, 
was expecting. I go in, they hook me up for the treadmill. I do not think I lasted much more than five minutes, if even five minutes. The pain started coming. I got real tired. It was just I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do it. And they shut me down. Then I sat down and I turned white as a ghost. They said my blood pressure dropped to the floor. Um, it came back relatively quickly, but still, the technicians and nurses were looking at me in this very serious way. They said, don't move, sit right there. You need an angiogram. I said, oh, okay, well, when am I going to meet with a cardiologist? They said, no, now, right now, don't move. We're going to go in the back and get this set up for you. Now, I know what an angiogram is. My dad had several. I'm familiar, like I said, with the uh, heart world. An angiogram is, the, the, the treadmill is the first test, the first and primary screening test for heart problems. If you fail the treadmill, an angiogram is the next step. Um, it's a much more serious procedure. Not dangerous, but you don't do it lightly. In an angiogram, they literally shoot a dye through your veins. And the dye will show you exactly where and how badly the blockages are. It's a no-joke, serious procedure, and they don't do it unless they're very confident that you've got a big problem. So now I'm a little bit scared. Now I have to call my boss and say, gee, I'm not coming in today. Matter of fact, I don't know what's going on. They're going to do an angiogram. I don't know what's going to happen. It's, I don't know. And I'm happy that they um, were cool with it all. They just said, oh my God, just do what you need to do. Don't worry about any of this. Had to call my wife. Hey, 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 dear, you're going to have to come down here because things just got real serious. So my wife came down and Finally, after some time, they arranged for this angiogram. For some reason, it took a while, and by the time I got there, it was getting to be um, almost early evening. And I remember the cardiologist came, and when you have this kind of emergency, you don't really get to pick your doctor. I had a doctor, but I didn't have a cardiologist. I'd never had a heart problem. So this cardiologist just shows up. I don't know where they find him. I guess he's probably the one on call hi, I'm your cardiologist. I just think, hi, I hope you're good. <laughs> you don't get to pick these people. Fortunately, he was good. He was really good. He said, okay, this is what we're going to do, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, a lot of things could happen here. You could get a stent. Uh, a stent is basically um, a thing that they, it, sometimes they call it a balloon angioplasty where they, they literally inflate a, a balloon inside your vein which opens it up, and they put a little stent in there, which is this. I don't know what the stent is made of, frankly, but it, it, it just kind of pops open the vein. It sits there and holds it open, you know. And uh, that could happen, or, or you could need surgery, you know, I don't, until we see what happens. So I'm thinking, my brain will not let me go to the worst-case scenario. I just won't. So I think, okay, well, obviously there's something wrong. They would not do an angiogram. There's something going on with me. But, you know, okay, okay. Yeah, so I'll get some stents. Yeah, yeah. I'll get a few stents. When you, a stent isn't 
that much of a crazy procedure. You're in the hospital for a day or two and then you're fine. Okay, I'll get some stents. I'll have to change my lifestyle. Okay, no problem. My brain will not let me go to the worst case scenario even then. For some reason, they don't get to the angiogram till very late. And he says, you know, um, we can do this now. We can wait till the morning. There's really no one here to do anything about it. So, you know, up to you. We can do it now. We can wait till the morning. I said, do it now. I do not want to sit overnight and worry and think about it. I want to know now, even if it's bad. I'd rather know now than have to wait and stew on it. So they do the angiogram right there. And I got to tell you, having never had an angiogram, I didn't know what to expect. And um, it is so hard to describe, but it is the freakiest thing that I've ever been through. It doesn't hurt, but it is so weird. They hook you up, you've got an IV, and they're going to shoot this dye through you. And they do tell you, oh, it's going to be a little warm. You'll feel this warmth run through you. Well, okay, this all happens in one second max, maybe a second max. It's very fast. It's boom and it's over. But in that one second, what I felt was not just warmth. I felt heat, like hot. And it's like someone is injecting hot liquid into you, but not just into you, into your veins. Into your veins, which is the very core of your being, and it's head to toe everywhere. Your entire body, head to toe, surges in this insane heat. And at the same time, I felt it was like an electric, elect, it was like an electrical shock, I guess. It was electricity of some kind. I don't know, you know, if this is, I don't know if it's really electric or whether the, it just kicks off something in your body. But I felt an electrical, almost like a charge that zapped through my entire body. Again, head to toe and in your veins and the, in the, not just sort of on the outside, but in the most inside. It's so hard to describe. The most inside part of you, this heat and electrical shock just zaps through you. It only takes a second or a second and a half, but fortunately it doesn't take very long because by the time your brain goes, oh my God, what? And then it's over. Because you're thinking, oh my God, what is going on? It was just freaky as hell. Again, not painful in any way, but just the weirdest thing you've ever experienced. So we're waiting for the results. And I'm thinking, okay, it'll be a couple of stents, no big deal. He comes in and says, well, this is extensive. You've got four blockages and they're pretty bad. This is very extensive. It, we, you need open heart surgery, period, end of story. There is nothing else to be done here. You need the open heart surgery and you need it right away. This is pretty bad. So now I'm at the worst case scenario. Open heart surgery for bypasses is what I need. Fortunately today, unlike my father, four bypasses is no big deal. When he did it, multiple bypasses were kind of a big deal. Now four is like, whatever, no biggie. We do it all the time. 
So now I've got to get transferred because at the hospital I happen to be at, which was the hospital closest to my house, they don't do big-time open-heart surgeries there. I've got to go up into the city, uh, closer to, to the city in Portland, where they do these big-time surgeries. So now they transport me in an ambulance to this other hospital, and I'm sitting there in this ambulance thinking, wow, I've never been in an ambulance in my entire life for anything. It's my first ambulance ride. Weird. Um, I'm still feeling fine. I don't feel bad in any way. Check into the other hospital. And now they put me on this diet that is just so horrendous. This is the heart diet where there is no sugar, there is no salt, there is no nothing. The food tastes awful. Imagine hospital food and then make it even worse. Oh, it's just really bad. And um, I'm just waiting there now for when can they do this surgery? And the nurses said, well, you know, it's Friday. I think it was a Friday or whatever it was. It's the weekend. We don't always do surgery on the weekends. You might have to wait till Monday. And I'm thinking, oh, God, please, no. I don't want to wait another day because, A, I don't want to eat your damn food any longer than I have to, and, B, I don't want to have to sit here with this, sit here and just wonder and worry. I want to get it done fast. If it's going to happen, I want it to happen as fast as humanly possible. Let's just get this Done. I wasn't worried or freaked out, but I wanted to do it. If we're going to do it, let's do it. Let's do it now. I don't want to sit around with it. Just get it done fast. So I was a little bummed out about this, waiting a whole other day. So the surgeon comes in, and again, you don't get to pick your surgeon. You don't get to pick anything. This is all who's on call, who can go now, and... Um, it's funny because the nurses who were working with me and in and out, like I said, I wasn't super freaked out or panicked about this, partly because I saw my dad go through it twice. So I know, you know, you got good people. This is, you know, very survivable. You don't really need to panic. I'd lived through this. Um, but the nurses are all looking at me, you know, with fairly concerned faces. Like, they're all a lot more worried than I am, which is kind of funny. Made me think, should I be more worried? You guys are looking at me like I can have a heart attack in any second. You know, should I be more freaked out? <laughs> and there was a time during all this, like I said, I'd be walking and have the, the chest pain. We went to Seattle for a weekend to see my uh, daughter. And my wife has the great idea of, hey, Let's go down to this really cool donut shop that they've got. Let's walk. Let's have a nice walk. It's only a couple of blocks. Let's walk down to this donut shop. I'm thinking, okay, great. When I walk, I don't feel good. Super, let's walk. Going there wasn't a big deal. It was downhill. So it wasn't super hard for me. I basically made it not much problem. But coming back... It was almost all uphill, and now I am struggling. And I take 20 steps, and I got to stop. I got to stop for a second, 
the feeling goes away and then I can keep going. And another 10 or 20 steps, I got to stop. And I have to keep stopping. And so I'm slowing everybody down and no one understands what's going on. And I just say, I don't know, I've got this heartburn. I don't know what's going on. And I do remember um, at one particular moment, we were at an intersection and it was really bad at this intersection. It was so bad. I almost just sat down. I think I did eventually go in at the, uh, at this intersection, there was a drugstore and I said, oh, let's go into the drugstore and let me get, uh, some more Toms. And I think I did sit down for quite a while, 10, 15 minutes at that intersection, trying to gather myself. And then I'm in that hospital. Everyone's looking at me, you know, real concerned, asking, are you okay? This, that, the other thing. And I thought back to that day. And that intersection, and I thought, I could have died right there. How close was I right there at that intersection to having a massive heart attack, really? Obviously, I was having problems, and the blood wasn't going through, and that's why I was feeling that way. How close was I to just having a heart attack right there and then? A heart attack that could have killed me probably as close as I ever w would have been. I mean, probably right on the edge, just dumb luck one way or the other that could have caused a small piece of plaque to break loose and boom. I could have had a heart attack right there at that intersection. And I thought back to that and thought, wow, wow, I almost died. So the surgeon comes in. And this guy is young, good looking, and I don't know what to tell you. He has a way about him that is a way about him where he shook my hand and said, hi, I'm, I don't remember his name. I'm a surgeon. I'm, the, I'm a heart surgeon, whatever he said. And I just looked at him and I thought to myself, yeah, you are. Hell, you are a surgeon. He just had this look about him like, I'm a shit hot heart surgeon. You would just look at this guy and say, oh yeah, you're a, you're a shit hot heart surgeon, aren't you? He just had that look about him and the way he talked and the way he carried himself, it was just everything. And I was instantly um, happy and relieved. I, for some reason, I just knew this guy is good. And here's a guy that I just met. He just walked into my door 30 seconds ago. And this is the man who will quite literally have my life in his hands in a couple of hours. My literal life will be in his hands in just a few hours. I just met him 30 seconds ago. But thank goodness, in those 30 seconds, I thought, all right, I'm good with that. There's no one I'd rather have my life in hands but you because you just look like you are really good. I don't know. Something about the way he looked, the vibe I got. It was just like, oh, thank God. And he talked to me about, you know, various things and this and that and then said, how do you feel about uh, tomorrow? T tomorrow being Sunday. And I said, oh, well, the nurses said, you know, do surgery on, on, on like Sundays of the weekend. I'm going to have to wait till Monday. He said, I do surgery when I want to. I do surgery when I want to. I decide when it happens. Don't worry about it. How about tomorrow? 
It's like, yes, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait at all. I want this ASAP. Tomorrow is fantastic. Let's do tomorrow. That tomorrow also happened to be St. Patrick's Day, which I thought, okay, hey, I'm Jewish, but I'll take any angle I can get. St. Patrick's Day seems like a pretty good day to have heart surgery, right? And so out he goes. I meet this guy. We have a conversation for literally no more than 10 minutes. And he is going to save my life. Crazy, man. The prep for the surgery is crazy. Um, you got to do all this crazy stuff. And then people come in and they shave you. Now I'm thinking back to when I was a child and I told you when my dad had his second heart surgery and it was getting serious, they let me sit with him when they shaved him down. And now I'm getting shaved down. My son isn't there. He's only 10. He's very young, younger than I was. And I just don't think there's any reason for him to be there. There's really not a big risk for me not coming out of this. Everybody, nurses, sir, everyone saying, ah, you're going to be fine. You're young. You're pretty healthy. Don't worry about a thing. You're going to be absolutely fine um, with this. And I was so happy because everyone kept saying, you're so young. Oh, you're young. You're great. And I said, I'll oh, keep saying I'm young. I love that. Keep saying I'm young again because, you know, I'm 50 something. I don't feel that young necessarily. But they'll keep telling me I'm so young. I love to hear that, man. So there was no real significant risk. So there's no reason for, uh, for him to be there. But I'm getting shaved down. And I'm just, I'm right back <laughs> to, to this. This happened to my dad. I'm now in his shoes a little bit, getting shaved down for this heart surgery. And um, getting shaved down is a weird experience because they have to shave you head to toe. Um, well, not your hair, but um, you can't have any hair on you. You know, this is all about sanitary and you can't have hairs flying around or what have you. And there's two people that come in, a man and a woman. They've got these blades and they're just going to shave your damn body down every single inch of it, including your private parts. Yeah, you get to have someone shave your private parts right there. It's kind of weird, but it is what it is. Then you got to wake up at like three, four in the morning and take a shower and you've got to scrub with this soap. There's a very special soap and a very special way you've got to scrub with the soap and then you've got to rinse it and then you've got to scrub a second time with the soap and rinse that. Very specific way you've got to clean yourself because, again, you've got to be super, super, super clean. And then you get into the bed and they bring this weird blanket that's kind of, it blows up. You may or may not have seen it. It's like you're going into this weird blow-up blanket and they're uh, pushing hot air into it. So basically to keep you warm because you're naked completely now. And you're in this weird uh, blanket, which is a blow-up blanket that has hot air flowing through it. It's just kind of a weird, very odd experience. And then they wheel you out of the room and down the hall. And this is the first time that I thought, um, okay. Especially when they wheeled me down the hall and into the elevator. And as I was going into the elevator, I thought, Okay, this is, uh, this is happening. This is real. This is actually happening right now. This is happening and it's happening now, 
right now. This is going down. Oh boy. I was, you know, again, I was not, I was not nervous. I was not panicked. I'm just like, wow, this is whew, okay. Here we go, man. And they wheel you into whatever pre-room that they have. And that's where they, they brought my wife to, to see me. You know, they're saying their goodbyes to you. You know, again, neither one of us are completely freaked out because really the risk here is very, very low. I'm, I'm going to make it through this. I never had a doubt in my mind that I was going to make it through okay. Like I said, I saw my dad go through this many times. And this was I don't know, 40 years ago when he went through it. So can you imagine how much better and more sophisticated they are today is when he did it. So, you know, I'm really not for even a half a second thinking I'm not going to come out of this. So it's not really that much of a dramatic thing. And then they shoot whatever they shoot into and you're, you know, asleep in about (laughs) 10 seconds, you know. I always tell people the... Surgery is easy. Heart surgery, a piece of cake. You just fall asleep. No biggie. The surgery is easy. The hard part is the recovery. The recovery is a bitch. And I wake up in the um, intensive care unit. My wife is there. And I got tubes coming out of me. I got tubes down my throat. I got tubes coming out of my chest. It's fucking unreal and I'm in pain I'm in so much pain I have never been in this much pain in my life oh my god and they're telling me breathe you've got to breathe because there's something about the oxygenation you've got to get your blood oxygen level up to a good level you got to breathe, you got to breathe. And they give you that thing, you know, where you breathe and the little red thing goes up and down. You're trying to get it to a certain level and it hurts to breathe. It hurts so much to take even anything more than the shallowest of breaths is so painful, but you've got to breathe, David. And I'm trying to breathe and it's so goddamn painful. And uh, they're encouraging me more And so I try harder. Okay, it's going to hurt, but I got to... Everyone's looking at me like, this is really, really important. So I push, I try to push through this pain and just do it anyway, even though it's so painful. And I try and I'm trying to breathe as much as I can. And it's just not enough. They're saying, it's not enough, David. You got to do it more and you got to go deeper. They give me um, a pain medicine. And I think that they gave me oxy whatever oxycodone you know the shit that people get uh, hooked on i had had oxy before i had a surgery many 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 years ago on my wrist they gave me oxy when i went home for recovery and i hated it it made me feel like crap i'm i don't even think it cut the pain that much it made me feel like garbage i just said, forget it. I'll just give me a bunch of Tylenol. I'll be fine. And I thought, you know, why the hell do people get hooked on this? Because it makes me feel terrible. There's no pleasure in this at all. So now I'm getting Oxy after this surgery. And there was a point where I felt really wild. I mean, I wasn't even sure exactly where reality was and where it wasn't. It was almost like I was floating in and out of reality. 
in this weird middle part. It was, and then I thought, okay, this is why people want oxy. This is very much like being high. This is freaky. I don't even know where the hell I am. I'm drifting in and out of, I don't know what. This must be what people like. I don't like it. I don't like it at all, but this is probably what people are chasing. But it's not, I'm not enjoying this really all that much at all because I don't want to be out of reality or in some nether world where I don't know where the hell I am or I don't know how to get back. So I tell them, no more oxy. Find something else. I don't care what it is. No more of that. I don't want that. I don't like that. Get something different. <laughs> so they did find something different, which, which worked just about as well and didn't make me feel like I was, you know, touching different realities. Um, I can't breathe. And this goes on for a while. And I can see the look, again, the look of deep concern. And they're all talking and they're consulting with each other. And I can see that they are very concerned, not freaked out, but they're like very intense about this. And then my wife gets in my face and says, listen to me, you have to breathe. I don't care. I know it hurts like hell. God damn it, breathe. Do it. And she's very intense, like, I'm not fucking around. You need to breathe. And for the first time I thought, am I in trouble? Is something bad happening here? And I, again, I don't panic, but I realize maybe I'm in a little bit of trouble here. Maybe I'm in trouble and I don't want to know what comes next. And this is, this is bad. My wife's intense. I can see everyone else. I'm, I'm in trouble. Something kind of bad is happening with this recovery and I need to breathe. So again, I push the pain. It's just searing. But I try so hard to push through that pain and breathe and breathe and breathe because I'm a little bit scared now of what is going on. So I push through the pain and try to breathe and try to breathe and try to breathe. All of this is a big haze because of the drugs and the this and the that. I, I remember certain things, but not a lot of other things. I do realize that I'm in intensive care for much longer than I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be out of there well beyond, but I'm still there. And in fact, I stay overnight. My wife sleeps on a little bed they've got for her in the other part of the room. You're not, just, you're not supposed to stay overnight in intensive care, even after open heart surgery. You're supposed to be gone by then, but I'm not. I'm still there. And this is not good. This is not good. It's a bit of a haze, so I can't remember. I don't even remember the time. How long was I there? I don't remember. I just remember it was over one night. I do not believe it was two nights, but it was a really long time, much longer than it should have been, and people were very, very concerned about my recovery. Finally, finally, they pulled the tubes out, pulled the tubes out of my throat, pull the tubes out of my chest, which is fucking weird. You can kind of feel it a little bit. It's very, very, ugh. but it feels much better to have all these tubes just out of you. Still though, the pain, very good, very big. Even with all these painkillers, still pain. 
because they crack your breastbone and literally split you open like a chicken. I took a very briefest look at pictures on Google of open heart surgery, and then I stopped immediately. I do not want to see what that looks like, but I saw the briefest glimpse, and they literally split you open like a chicken, and, and your breastbone is basically broken. It's fucking crazy. And that's why there's so much pain. And that breastbone takes forever to heal. Finally, I got out of intensive care and I'm up into a regular room. But they've got oxygen on me and it's cranked up to 11. I mean, this oxygen is just... You can just hear the whoosh of this oxygen as they force as much oxygen down my nose and throat as they possibly can. Because my oxygenation is still not very good and they're just pumping it into me as hard as they can. And again, breathe, breathe. You've got to breathe. I'm trying. It hurts. Finally, after a couple of days, they turn down the oxygen. Now I'm not at 11. They turn it down to like 5. Still going, but you know, nowhere near the rush that it was. And then finally, after another day or so, it's down to like 2. And then finally... They take, you know, they take me off the oxygen. Finally, I can just breathe on my own. Still hurts, but not nearly as much. And, um, and then you just try to recover from there, you know. Everything you do is, takes every ounce of energy that you have to do the most simple things. To get out of bed and walk three steps to the shower. And the first time you shower, someone has to do it for you, has to wash you. And then you get back to bed and you're exhausted, like, holy crap, I feel like I just ran a marathon. I took three steps to the shower and three steps back, and I feel like I am every ounce of any energy I had just was used up by doing that. Then you got to get up and walk. And it's just basically walk as long as you can. Don't care how long it is. If it's five steps, fine. Just go what you can. I made it maybe a quarter of the hallway. And then you come back and then you're just like, oh my God, you're absolutely exhausted. You went, you know, 20 steps. And then the next day you go a little bit further and then you're just exhausted. And then you go a little bit further. Finally, you're going all the way down the hallway and back. You're pretty damn tired when it's done, but at least you're getting down the hallway and back. It takes a while. Just very, very tiring. And finally, you know, they let you go home. And uh, it took me a bunch of months before I was able to do much of anything for myself. And it took me uh, more than a year. They told me it takes about a year before that, um, before your sternum fully heals and you don't have pain. It took me uh, more than a year. It probably took me a year and a half before I had no pain. I mean, after a year, I didn't have much pain. Not much, but still definitely some pain, especially if I touched it. It took me a good year and a half to almost a year and a half before I had no pain in that sternum. And, and really a full, I would say a full two years before I felt good. Like, oh, okay. I feel pretty good now. Two years 
of recovery before I felt good. A full year before all the pain was gone. A good five months before the pain was gone enough where I could actually stand up and move around and, you know, do things, you know. So that's kind of my, that's my story. And now it's been three years. I had this in 2019. And I think now, how lucky was I to have this in 2019 in March? Because exactly one year later, 2020, bam, pandemic. Can you imagine? Pandemic. So I'm lucky to have it uh, before all that crap went down. Um, And it's been about three years. Now I feel better than I've ever felt. It's great. And they said this to my wife. Oh, he's going to feel great. He'll be like he was 20 years ago. Well, that took a really long time, actually, to get to that point. She used to say, they, they said, you're supposed to feel great. What's wrong with you? It's like... Dear, the recovery, it takes a while. And I'm, you know, I'm young, but I'm not a complete spring chicken. Um, so now I do feel better than I felt in forever. It's such a slow, sometimes, sometimes it's not slow. Sometimes you have a heart attack, bam, and you just, it nails you. But oftentimes it's slow, like I had, a slower progression. You just feel more tired and you have less energy, and you can have some angina, which is what I had, that burning sensation, is in fact, if you have a burning sensation and it feels like heartburn, and especially it happens when you move about or are active, go see a doctor immediately, just to be sure. Because for many months, I just put it off, and uh, I almost died because I didn't take it seriously and put it off and thought, ah, it's nothing. A lot of people die because they say, ah, it's nothing. Eh, It's not that bad. Don't do it, man. If you feel like something's weird, go to a damn doctor. Don't put it off or say, ah, I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, nothing. Yeah, maybe it is, but maybe it's not. I could have died at any moment in those four or five months that I had this heartburn and I just dealt with it at any time, any moment, bam, something could have happened. Because that's what happens with heart attacks. When they happen, bam, they just happen right there. Basically a piece of cartilage, which is what is is blocking your artery, breaks off. And then it floats down and gets stuck somewhere completely and, you know, boom. Or worse, it floats through and goes to your brain and you have a stroke. A stroke is basically a heart attack of the brain. Don't mess with this stuff. Um, so I'm really fortunate and happy that nothing did happen. Because if I had I had a heart attack, even if it didn't kill me, they still would have done the bypass surgery. But now I would have had heart damage. Every time you have a heart attack, like I said, you have your, your, your part of your heart dies. Let's just say that. It's damaged, but really your heart dies, a chunk of it. 
And depending on how big of that chunk, you're not going to be the same. You're going to be debilitated by some degree. So if you, if I had had the heart attack, I still would have had had the bypass and I would have been severely debilitated because I would have had some kind of heart damage. I got super lucky because I didn't have a heart attack. So, so now they can do the bypasses and I'm back to a hundred percent because my heart hasn't been damaged. I'm full speed again. I got so lucky to not have a heart attack, whether it killed me or not. Don't have a heart attack. Get it fixed, especially if you have family history. If you have family history, you've got family history, man. Sucks, but it's the way it goes, and you can't screw with it. So anyway, that's my story. I almost died, but I didn't. And now I live and feel better than I've ever felt. Thank God for modern medicine and science. A lot of people around want to poo-poo science and poo-poo doctors or what have you. I don't do that because science, actual, real, true science and doctors save my damn life. I'm here today feeling better than I've ever felt because of modern medicine, science, and doctors. Thank God for them. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. Maybe we'll come back with less heavy story next time. <laughs> Something a little more lighthearted for you. Um, but, you know, that's a real event that I went through. It's a big, big thing. Thanks for listening. Really do appreciate it. Stay tuned for the next D stories and find me on the internet at David Jacobs voiceovers. If you would like to have me do a voiceover for you, a commercial, an e-learning piece, a corporate narration, Hey, whatever you've got, let's talk and see, uh, see what we can do together. It'd be fun. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.